Welcome to Deep Sniff, the beats of our bodies for Repeater Radio. I am Adam Smith, the author of Deep Sniff, A History of Poppers and Queer Futures. This is episode three, and I hope that you've enjoyed the previous two episodes with Tash and Jose. And we've been talking about the music that is related to poppers, the music that I've written about in the book, and the other music that the guests have brought along for me and them to listen to and to talk about. And here we go. In this episode, I have got an amazing guest who I love dearly. Uh, He is a writer, a music journalist, the author of the book The Appendix, Transmasculine Joy in a Transphobic Culture, which has got like gorgeous illustration of a shiny silver Dot Martin on the front. And uh, he is Liam Koneman. Hello. Hello, welcome. (laughs) Hi, thank you for having me. Um, Tell me a bit about the book. The book. So the book is The Appendix, Transmasculine Joy in a Transphobic Culture, and it is available now from 404 Inc. And it's just really my uh, attempt to kind of try and square away a lot of the things I had dealt with um, in terms of what I think of as incidental transphobia mm-hmm. um, and trying to find a place to put that and move forward in a more in a more joyful way in terms of uh, trans masculinity, trans bodies and the general conversation around trans lives. Right. So I hope that anyone who's listened to the previous episodes now can see how this is this is this like blooming series about identity and our bodies and how we think about our bodies and what we do with our bodies. And that's uh, very much the themes of Deep Sniff as well. So this episode specifically, the theme is, who do we think we are? Um, Liam, I'm going to ask you, who do you think you are in a bit, maybe when we get into it. Um, So we're going to focus on mind and identity. And yeah, who do we think we are? And the first song I'm going to play, actually, um, I don't know if you know this song, um, the first one I'm going to play is uh, actually I Am What I Am by Village People. So let's play that. Let's have a listen. Bit of a boogie because it's a bit of a disco. You ready to boogie? I'm ready to boogie. <laughs> I'm always ready to boogie. <laughs> okay, so let's have a little bit of a boogie and then we'll come back and then we'll talk about how that song makes us feel and how does it tell us about who we are. Okay, I'm going to play it now. <laughs> Just what you feel The right to the free will I did not choose the way I did not choose the way 
Ooh, that was amazing. Super groovy. <laughs> We're freshly back from a boogie. We are freshly back from a boogie. So why did you pick that song? I picked that song because I wanted to boogie and I think it just chucks you right back in the 70s. And the 70s is this really interesting moment in gay history, LGBTQ plus history broadly, because of, you know, post the Stonewall uprising in 1969, but pre-HIV AIDS mm. in the early 80s. So the 70s for like gay liberation, for gay rights and gay experiences meant that like there was this broader openness and this broader like possibility to, to think about okay well who who am I like you know I'm freer now and I'm going to do loads of stuff and so um you know there is this creation of like the idea of like a gay man very much in this point even though that had happened before mm -hmm. and so that was something that I ended up writing about in Deep Sniff kind of by surprise I didn't really expect it to I was I was writing about poppers and I was looking into all these old adverts of poppers when they were advertised in the gay press and they often use these like really really hench butch guys with like 18 abs per person and these giant pecs that are the size of dinner plates and that was just interesting to me because spoiler listeners i don't have 18 abs and dinner plate pecs so i was like okay well if that you know these are these there's this creation of like the idea of what a man is and i don't identify mm. with that and even like gay it feels like quite it can feel quite a like a limiting or like solid term and I actually feel like my sexuality and my gender like is a bit more fluid than that mm. so I ended up talking a bit about that so that was why I picked that song because there was this like solidification of like I am what I am in the 70s and it was around those those terms so I don't know that's what that's what I'm thinking what does it make you think mm. Liam it's interesting because I think if I am correct in this that the 70s was a period where people were campaigning to no longer be seen as uh psychologically ill yeah in terms of homosexuality yeah and it was becoming more about modes of behavior than modes of psychology or mm. a sort of failing of psychology um which i think is very interesting it does feed back into that song doesn't it of like i am what i am i'm not ill this isn't a deviance from the norm right this is yeah. just this is who the i norm. am yeah. yeah this is and it's the norm for me mm. this is who i am yeah yeah and i find that very interesting as a trans man especially considering you know what you say about the poppers ads and the like the shape of masculinity and like the kind of the ideal bodies that these were being portrayed yeah. as right um because if in that sense people are pushing for gay as being about behavior and about life and desire and all that kind of thing then it is quite an open category yeah and it is welcoming to gay trans men like myself and trans men who don't or you know cis gay men who don't as you say have like dinner plate pets um which is quite an image by the way um so yeah that's what that kind of just makes me think of it being quite you know and it is also very joyful and just like mm. very open and as you say like just groovy just groovy as the kids, no other as word the kids for it. call it i know you gotta say groovy when you, you listen to groovy. something like from the village people or from like parliament or funkadelic yeah. you know those kind of like bands and musicians in the 70s it's amazing you've got to accept the groove <laughs> accept the groove accept i love it. it okay well i've got another groove for you okay um this is uh, so this is this is the next song it's by a band that i really really love do you like years and years i do like years and years okay i don't want to put you on the spot by the way you can say you hate them if you want to <laughs> <laughs> just as well that i do not hate years and years <laughs> so um we're gonna play desire by years and years mm -hmm. And this is the Griffin remix. I really like the original 
song Desire anyway by years and years. Mm -hmm. But also Desire was remixed like loads. There's loads of different remixes and I think loads of them are really, really good. And I wanted to play this one. It's a bit more upbeat. It's it's a bit more pumpy. And uh, I just thought, well, I don't know. I'll just, I don't know, Liam. I just thought <laughs> we'll play it because it's a bit more pumpy, um, which makes it sound like it's a fart song, but it's not. Not a fart song. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Desire, Griffin Remix from Years and Years.
Griffin remix by years and years. Now, Liam, did I make a mistake? Because this episode is about identity, which we tend to think of as like this deeply personal thing. But then I've just played a song about desire. I don't know, it just seemed to fit and I don't really know why. Maybe you can help me to understand why I picked this song, which is about desire, which seems to be about other people. Um, yeah, yes, what's going made... on for, my, for me? <laughs> yes, you've made a terrible error. Um, <laughs> no, I think desire is hugely relevant to identity, particularly in terms of gayness and in terms of queerness, because one of the things that informs us about what we are is what we desire. You know, if you're a person mm. of a particular gender mm-hmm. who desires sexually or romantically another person of that same gender, then that's one of the major things that makes you gay, right? Mm -hmm. That's, like, hugely indicative. Mm. And then on top of that, the things that we desire in terms of sex, in terms of sexuality, the way that we want our bodies to be treated and the way we want to treat other bodies, it can also be very relevant to your identity and very empowering, particularly in the case of you know, gay sex, trans sex, it can uh, highlight or reduce gender. You can play around with all these kinds of things. So I think it does Mm. definitely inform your identity in terms of, yeah, who you desire, what you desire from that person. Mm. And from the outside as well, if someone sees you as a man who desires other men, then you are perceived as gay by the people around you too. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you reckon that's that all of this is what Ollie Alexander was thinking when he was like producing that song? I think that was precisely what he was thinking. Yeah, I think he was sitting around going, you know what, I'm going to sing about that. What the world needs yeah. is this in a song. Um, the there's that line, thing. but it's funny because isn't the line, I want desire because your love only makes me confused or gets me confused. Mm. And it's like, it's interesting to think of like love being this thing that confuses things and it kind of has more weight to it whereas desire is this like pure uncontrollable thing which is just like um i don't know it's like pure and simpler in a way Mm. it's not complicated it's not confusing it's just like "Mm, i desire that desire is very primal isn't it in a lot of ways like you think yeah like love as you say is like very confusing and just uh i can't think of the word but you know like it's over it makes you overthink yeah I, I suppose. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, desire is just very, yeah, primal and it's like just a want, you know, like kind yeah. of a fundamental want. Yeah. Rather than a sort of messy ooze, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> An emotional ooze. An emotional ooze. And of course, as well, like the thing about desire is that it's, um, and this goes back to what you were saying about how desire makes you realise, like, you didn't use the word categories, but I'm going to use the word categories mm-hmm. like, like you know, gay identity or whatever. It makes you realise those things. And yes, we know that these categories are very useful, but they're also, they can also sometimes like hold us back or limit us. Um, so, uh, segue, I have a little reading segue. from Deep Sniff, which is kind of about that. Because I like that, the messy, that, that version of desire, like mm. the, the way that, um, like it's not easily categorizable. Like people have desires outside of the categories that they use for themselves mm. in terms of their gender uh, identity or their sexuality, right? So that's always interesting t- to me. Um, anyway, so I'm going to read you one of these little bits. In between the chapters in Deep Sniff, there are these little like italics pages mm-hmm. that are um, often a bit more personal from me. So I'm going to read you one of those. My body is knowable. Pink skin, brown hair, two arms, two legs, penis, anus, inner belly button, that sort of thing. Symbols. 
I don't hear myself in dude or bro. I am a man for the paperwork, but there isn't a single thing in that word that marks it as a more specific category of human. I hear myself in gay and echoed down the centuries spoken by my sexually dissident elders. If I must use a word, I will use queer and be done with it. Will you look me in the eye or what? The labels declare a name for each small bottle. Jungle Juice, Everest, Blue Boy, Iron Horse, Double Scorpio, Oink! Only symbols differentiate them. Typography, colour, design, illustration, trademarks, trade dress. The actual substances inside these bottles are obscured from us. Isoamyl nitrite, isobutyl nitrite, isopropyl nitrite, isopentyl nitrite. A technique called proton nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy. Spectroscopy can identify the mix of liquids inside each bottle, but the invisible vapour rising from them is the only thing that counts. Iron Horse is just a show. When you unscrew their lids, you smell their notes, you feel the effect pulse through you. I don't know where we go from there, but it's something about Popper's labels and the categories that we use for our bodies and, and our, ourselves and our identities. But that's, that, was why it was, that was why I read it. Liam's got this really like penetrating way of like looking at you and like giggling silently. <laughs> I was trying not to look at you and giggle silently, but I just, I really enjoyed that. And I think also, um, you know, I like that thing about queer because it's just so flexible and so sort of, it can be so all encompassing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like if someone queer can be encompassing of sexuality and of gender at the same time, and it can capture all of the things that you are mm-hmm. in this one sort of neat word and I often find for myself that when I'm talking to a straight person I will tell that person I'm gay yeah but when I'm talking to another you know person another member of the LGBTQ plus community yeah that I would just say that I'm queer because it totally. it's more in a weird way more specific for me even though I think that it is broader yeah and it captures more of me that's so interesting I was I, I do that as well mm. I didn't know you did that yeah I just find it very it's just a lot easier because it sort of narrows it down for the for the straights yeah. among us. They're like, oh, okay, you're a man who likes men. Yeah. But that's not really quite the truth of it. Yeah. You know, I'm a man who likes men. Yeah. But I'm also a trans man. Yeah. And the, what I consider a man is very broad. Yeah. And entirely changeable. Yeah. Do you want to introduce the next song? Yeah. So the next song we have is... He's Fresh by Deep Nair.
Well, that is very sexy and dark. It's very sexy, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. (laughs) Very calming. (laughs) Very very calming, dark, sexy vibes. Um, How would you describe that song? It... Well, as you say, it's very, it's very sexy. It makes me think, I think I'm never having been to Burgai, and it makes me think of that kind of, uh, like, yeah, sex on premises kind of situation where mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like a lot of dark rooms and kind of mm-hmm. sort of a lot of angles, you know, like <laughs> walls and like a sort of, oh yeah, where you, know, you sort of but have like to hunt public, around, but sort of, yeah, yeah. like semi-public, yeah. um, which then makes me think of, you know, like other kinds of premises like that of like club verboten, mm-hmm. um, not so much the middle class airs and graces of what is it, killing kittens, but sort of the more okay. like yeah. the more queer friendly like yeah. kink venues, right? Um, which I guess is, you know, that feeds back into desire and it feeds back into that mm. aspect of identity and how do you want to be treated and how do you want to, um move your body through the world and through particularly sexual spaces. I think that that's something that I've seen in like sex venues, let's call it broadly, Mm. that I've been in um, like sex clubs or uh, kinky spaces is that um, this is a different way of thinking about identity, which I hadn't even thought about when I put that song on the list, by the way. Mm. Someone just recommended it to me as something that they like to listen to when they sniff poppers (laughs) so I put it on the playlist for deep sniff but now that we're talking about it I'm thinking how what I've seen in um sex clubs or in fetishy spaces and kinky spaces um is that it's a different way of thinking about identity and there are obviously very specific sex things or fetish things that people do which is their identity Mm. you know there are the people who become a pup or a puppy Mm for the time when they're in a sex club or the time where they're at their master's house or something. And they literally become, mm. well, don't literally become a puppy. <laughs> okay. They don't literally become a puppy. Let's scale it back. But they, <laughs> but they behave in a way, crawling around on the floor mm. and often in a mask as a puppy. Mm. And that to me is just such an interesting way of thinking about identity that, you know, that person might like, you know, be teaching geography to class 7F Mm. you know during the daytime and then the nighttime they become this other mm. thing and that's something that like i think queerness and queer people have quite a lot of time and flexibility for mm. yeah i think you know kink in particular but sex in general obviously has a huge capacity for uh the word that's coming to mind is transcendence but i'm not sure i mean that mm. but just there's you know well, why did you pick transcendence that word i think because there's so much you know, room for play and for role play, particularly, uh, again, I'm coming at this from a trans perspective. There's a great scene in uh, Tori Peters' Detransition Baby mm-hmm. where the main character or one of the main characters is reflecting on having sex with another trans woman and is talking about how both of them were kind of picturing themselves as having a different kind of sex to the kind that they were actually having um, or that both of them had done that in the past and were maybe fully present in this moment because one of the magic things about having sex with two trans people at the time was that you were both aware that you were each doing that and each maybe thinking about a different, you know, different set of genitalia, a different physicality um, and that it wasn't as it could be with a cis person who maybe didn't have much experience with a trans person 
it wasn't um, minimizing the experience or removing you from it, but rather a key part of the whole act together. Wow. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And But that was a scene in a in a fiction book. Yeah, so it's a scene it's in a... It's amazing to get all of that into a scene between two characters. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, yeah. obviously I am like reading into it a little bit, but it was described very well and very accurately. And I think that, um, you know, that like that song, as you said, sort of reminded both of us of like, you know, sex and sexual places and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sort of shows you the possibilities mm-hmm. of how the two sex and identity and desire and yeah, kink and all that kind of thing can feed into each other. Well, the next song also leads on quite nicely from this because this is from, the next song is going to be Lady Gaga right who obviously is very famous for a song called born this way mm-hmm. which i did not include on the list not because i don't like the song because i yeah. do like the song and of course i've like shouted it and chanted it in a club or whatever you know um uh, it's great but um one of the interesting things about that song born this way is uh, um it kind of one of my criticisms of it as a song which was directly made produced and marketed for gay her gay male mm-hmm. like audience was that it's actually I, f- I find the the idea of born this way to be like pretty limiting mm. actually whether we're talking about gender or sexuality or, or sex or anything it's 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 this idea that something is fixed and that you don't have any like free that your mind doesn't have any free will to like mm. realize who it is in and of itself. Mm. And so obviously that's a lot of pressure to put on a pop song. I get it. <laughs> so I'm not saying cancel that song because it's still a good song, mm-hmm. but I just feel like it misses, it misses quite a lot of experience. Mm. And so the experience that I'm going to have Lady Gaga bring to this room tonight is the experience of being a pig <laughs> with the song Swine. <laughs>
It's interesting that you chose that one instead of um, Born This Way, because uh, you said something that I completely agree with there, which is, I mean, I personally feel quite strongly that it doesn't matter whether I was born that way, or born this way, rather, <laughs> not born that way in general, born this specific way. Yeah. Um, and I do touch on this in the book. Uh, in your book, The in, Appendix. In my book. Yeah, yeah I, t- I touch on this in Deep Sniff by Adam Smith. <laughs> no, I touch on this in the appendix where I'm writing about um, the Belvis Tavistock case where a young woman, I believe she's, you know, early 20s now, uh, was suing the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust for prescribing her puberty blockers and testosterone throughout her teens i think she was prescribed puberty blockers to prevent a female puberty from advancing if you will um at the age of 16 which is the earliest i think you can be prescribed them now at least and then was prescribed testosterone at the age of 18 and in her early 20s decided that she wasn't trans uh that she'd miscategorized these gender dysphoria feelings Mm um or just didn't want to continue that way and detransitioned and was now saying that the Tavistock Trust should have, uh, shouldn't have let her, basically, that she was too young and all that kind of thing. And essentially, I think the case is in appeals at the moment, but basically nobody won. It was very much presented as Kira Bell won. Um, yeah, that was what it seemed to be like in the news at the time and yeah. on social media. And, and I mean, it technically is true, like they won the case. But the judge ruled that people under the age of 16 couldn't be prescribed puberty blockers, um, which prevents 
huge numbers of young trans people from, you know, care that they need. Um, I think basically you need a court ruling to say that you can have these blockers now. But it also means that Kira Bell at the age of 16 would have been able to consent. So, well, I mean, what does that mean for the case? She, you know, she was 16 years old and they said you can't do it below 16. So, you know, but basically all this is to say that um, the media coverage around the case was very much suggesting that uh, being trans is bad. Particularly because Kira Bell was a woman who transitioned to male and then detransitioned, but being a trans man was bad. Um, and that's what a lot of the book of your book is about: is yeah. the media coverage of of this kind of case and um, yeah, transgender identity mm. in general. Can you read us yeah. a bit? I shall read you a bit. So this is Please. the bit where I'm talking about uh, not being born this way. The media's coverage of the case again suggested that trans people, particularly young trans men owing to the specifics of the case and the groups who were backing it, were brainwashed and didn't know themselves. Transness was presented as something awful to be shielded from. They were trying to spare people from it, from the spreading poison of what they term transgenderism and its beguiling, brainwashing effects. A confession. I do find transness beguiling. I was one thing, and now I am something else. Is that not a kind of magic? I am the person I always wanted to be. How can that be anything other than joyful? I don't actually care whether or not I was born this way. I've seen myself as either a boy or a man for as long as I can remember, and so I assume that whatever it is that makes me transgender has been with me from the start, or close to it. Whether I came out of the womb like this, however, or whether I absorbed it as I was growing up is irrelevant. It's infantilizing to be talked about in a way that, at best, implies that you're afflicted with something. This is by no means a view universally held among trans people, but to me, to plead for acceptance on the basis that I was born this way misses the point. It suggests that I believe I'm in the wrong, that I would change it if I could, that if only I hadn't had the gross misfortune to be born trans, I would gladly throw myself at the feet of cis-normativity and assimilate. I would not change it if I could. I have no interest in being straight. Heterosexuality holds no wonders for me. And increasingly, I have no desire to be cis either. It would make life easier, perhaps, but I've come to like it here, at the intersection of trans and gay. This is where the world feels most vivid to me. Oh my gosh, I just love that. That's gorgeous, Liam. Like, also, anyone who's listened to this... Like that is a is like a tiny glimpse of of just how great this book is. <laughs> I kind of almost can't respond to it. That like what uh, there's there's so much that passage that you read is so expansive. Mm. Yes, it's about your experience, right? Mm. But and it's such a personal local experience to you, and that's the gift that you're giving us in sharing that story from yourself. But it's actually so broad and expansive. And enables anyone, I think, hope reading that to uh, think about themselves and their bodies and their identities mm. in this way, whoever they are, mm. however they are, wherever they are, whenever they are, and like that's the amazing gift that 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 book has 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 given to the world. <laughs> like, sorry, having a bit of a moment. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think you know, in that scene or that passage, rather, it's qu- I'm quite um, unapologetic about that and about not being born this way which um 
I think that that very pleasant song by Lady Gaga, <laughs> the one that you did pick, Swine, Swine. is very, uh, I, you know, she's being accusatory, if you will, yeah. towards someone else. But it is very like, this is the thing yeah. you are. What does she, what's the You're just a pig inside a human body. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want someone to shout that at me and spit on me. I and can then, see like, someone like claiming like, that for yeah, themselves, you know? Exactly. Like, I and am then, just a pig in a human body. Yeah. And then force poppers under my nose. Yeah, and then... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they would all be consensual. Yeah, I would of, have of agreed. Yeah. Um, I think we've got to move on. This is, it, it's, it's a, it's a great point. Um, it's, and so well made but actually we're gonna now transcend our bodies here's that word again and transcend maybe the poisons Mm. that you just mentioned and poison is going to be a word that's going to come up again and spoiler alert alert, (laughs) and we're going to become immaterial with sophie
I just love that song from Sophie and everything that Sophie did. And it's very sad that Sophie is no longer with us. But I have written about Sophie in Deep Sniff. And I thought I would share with you, Liam, and anyone who's listening, hello, uh, (laughs) a passage from Deep Sniff that references... I mean, you talked about poisons in the reading that you gave, Liam, and this passage references this idea of poisons, which I explore in Deep Sniff as a way of thinking about queer utopia, which I'm thinking is a way of like basically removing these poisons from us, things like stigma and things like uh, categories, uh, which which can be limiting, removing all of those. And then that is a way of getting towards this like sense of freedom that we might call queer utopia. So here's an excerpt from Deep Sniff. One of the poisons that really began to affect me as a teenager was the inner homophobia that I picked up somewhere or from someone. I decided to keep my wrists stiff and my legs apart to try to pass as straight. Another was the fear of illness and death. Yet another, my own prejudice about gays. And ultimately, another poison that afflicts me today is the very categorization that I proudly use to assert who I am, despite knowing that no legal fiction or marketable demographic can explain how it feels to be me. I agree with women of the Combahee River River Collective that emancipation requires us to think about distinct categories. We must bring everyone along on the road to freedom, but that journey is in our minds, individually and collectively. We make a mess if we try to build a certain ideal place or time. As Sophie knew, every human vibrates to their own unique rhythm, or, if you like, our feelings. That is why we must turn to those around us who touch queer utopia, which is really just a way of thinking honestly and deeply about ourselves, our bodies and our desires. Writers, artists and performers are particularly good at that. Queer utopia is certainly not a vision for how things should be. It's a way of disabling our poisons right now, atom by atom. So Liam, I'm very interested after having listened to Sophie Immaterial and that what this idea of queer queer utopia means to you hmm it is very um it's strange actually you're the second the second person to sort of touch on queer utopias in my in my presence or in my life this week oh wow um I, the first one was just someone i think on twitter or on instagram saying that queer utopias for them is not some sort of fictional possibility or theoretical but it's a reality oh wow something that's made real in you know people's homes for example ah yes every day in that sort of you know very small however small or you know domestic the spaces that queer utopias are attainable um on a on a certain scale um and then of course when you scale that up to a wider societal level i think it is similar to what you're saying there about uh, kind of dismantling these these sort of inner forms of homophobia. Um, yeah, and trying to bring people along with, it, with us. Yeah. On that. The next song is your choice, Liam. I've, this is not a democracy, unfortunately. Like, or it's not one person, one vote or whatever. Because I've chosen five songs and you get to choose one song. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's one person, one vote and one person, five other votes. 
Well, I also gave you a drink and cooked you dinner. That's true. Yeah. I mean, really, I can't complain. I'm just digging myself a hole here. No, no, no. I'm Um, falling into it. So can you introduce this song? And then afterwards, I want to hear about why you picked it. Mm. So this is Hey Boy, You're One of Us by Walt Disco. Once upon a time, we were boys like you. Crossed our clean white shirts and polished our brown shoes. But then we spent some time a little out of the I'm now going to be chanting that in my sleep. It's very catchy, isn't it? It's very catchy. It's very catchy. You're one of us. It's just so... It's great. Why so... did you pick it? Um, I've never heard that song before, by the way. So thank you. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Walt Disco. Welcome to Walt Disco. I, I love Walt Disco. I think that song in particular, though, was quite well-timed because uh, what you were saying about bringing people along with us to achieve queer utopias or to achieve freedom right liberation um that that song basically it's sort of the statement of intent intent the expressed meaning there is you're one of us right like it's sort of talking about in my interpretation at least about like a young man a young a young man young man. one singular young man um <laughs> Whose name quite, is Liam. Yeah. <laughs> who just seems like quite straight laced and all that kind of thing. And the singer and the band are sort of saying, we've been there. And what if you try, you know, they say uh, red velvet, double cream, give me a twirl, boy, something else. <laughs> ah. um, and it's about, you know, they talk about like putting on corsets and this very decadent 
you know, definitely very queer yeah. imagery. Um, and a lot of Walt Disco's music is like that. But I think this song for me encapsulates it so well. And it's also got that like kind of gospel element. It's kind of churchy. Um, I have previously described it as being taken to queer church. Mm. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a churchgoer myself. Mm hmm. But if I were, mm -hmm. that would be perhaps one of them. I would say, I don't know. So that was the first time you have heard this song. It is, yeah. So what do you what do you make of it? I just love the chantiness. Like it made yeah. me like, and also what you were saying about corsets and giving a, a twirl or whatever. Mm. Like I imagine wearing like quite heavy boots yeah. so that I can like stomp the floor as I'm chanting that. Mm. But yes, I'm wearing some kind of you know, Victorian ladies um, corset and bald gown or something. I don't mm. know, something that like the combination, I like clashes, you know, the combination of those two things mm. and like that sense of like, yeah, you're you're one of us. And like, it's for me, I don't know anything about what disco, but like it's the, it gives me listening to that and the, the vocal, the, the, the performance in that vocal makes me feel like, yeah, I want to be one of you. Like, yeah. I want to be with you. Like, I'm let following you. You know, let me in. And it, yeah. and sometimes bands or singers can, can give us that experience of being like, oh my God, yeah, I want to follow you. You know what I mean? I want to be mm. part of your gang. And that was, and yeah, and if I have to dress fabulously while I do that, then all the better. Like, I love yeah. it. It's a, it's a very lush sort of aesthetic. Yes, lush. That's a great lush. word. Well, this brings us to the end of our episode, mm. Liam. Thank you so much for joining this uh, magical, musical, transcendent, joyous, like, freak show journey. <laughs> <laughs> All of those things. All of those things. So, um, yeah, I'm Adam Smith, the author of Deep Sniff, A History of Poppers and Queer Futures. Uh, Liam, give us the name of your book again and your name. My name again is Liam Koneman. I am the author of the appendix trans masculine joy in a transphobic culture and it's fucking good it's very important that i don't mix up those two words in the <laughs> subtitle and thank you very much to liam thank you to all the musicians that we played thank you to carl neville at repeater radio and thank you very much for listening <laughs>